Well, the net rankings are here, and we are here to break down how seriously to take the early season results and which teams seem for real or not based on this data right here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, joined today by Tristan Freeman of Busting Brackets. Tristan, we're going to break down these net rankings for the season. We kind of got a first glimpse at some of them. Uh, Before we kind of get into the top 10 teams and kind of what looks strange, what looks normal, what kind of to to take from this data, I kind of want to just ask more broadly, like when we have Ken Palm data, we have Torvik data, we of course have the AP poll and various other kind of units of measurement for how teams are doing across college basketball. How seriously do you take the net rankings in general and particularly at this point in the season? Well, well, you have to take it seriously in general because this is how the resumes stack up against each other. We we always talk about the quad one wins, quad two wins. And in some cases, when you're looking down at a team, the quad four losses, the case, Mm -hmm. you always have to take it seriously from bracketology standpoint, but Mm -hmm. from the one month in, yeah. Uh, obviously not good. There's limited data points. Some mm-hmm. teams play loaded schedules like a Gonzaga or Michigan yeah. state. And some teams play a bunch of cupcakes that they can feast on. Mm-hmm. And part of the, the net rankings has to do with margin of victory. So yeah. teams who are sort of coming in together and, and sort of struggling to either blow out teams or just, mm-hmm. or losing closely, that's mm-hmm. natural to happen, but it's important to note to, to see what happens in January, February, when we have more data to work with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you hundred percent. It's, it's interesting to kind of look at this data and, and see like a handful of teams that you would totally expect to see towards the top of the rankings because they're towards the top of all of the rankings. They're just consensus considered the best or some of the very best teams in the entire country. Uh, certainly teams that participated in high level MTEs are getting a bit of a boost. I mean, UConn, Purdue, Alabama, Texas, all towards the very top here. Obviously, all teams that were participating, or three of those four teams, I should say, were participating uh, in the Phil Knight Invitational Tournament, which was very, very stacked. So it's kind of interesting to see how this looks early in the year. But certainly, you know, I, I think as, as a Gonzaga person and seeing their their struggles to start the season, their 6-3 and three record, which is highly unusual for them early in the year, but seeing that you know, they've played more quad one, quad two games than everybody in, in the country. They've played more of them than everybody except North Carolina, <laughs> the other team that has been really struggling early in the season. And so, you know, I, I don't think that looking at these net rankings and being like, oh, well, Gonzaga's played more tough teams, so we should just ignore all of the issues they have is is necessarily the way to go. And certainly with North Carolina and the, the struggles that they have had early in the season. But it does add a little bit more context when you look at some of these teams that have primarily just feasted on lower level teams the the way that Gonzaga used to do historically and the way that some teams just kind of put their schedules together is is there anything I guess more broadly like looking at a Gonzaga and looking at some of these teams that have kind of really pushed the envelope on the schedules who are a little bit lower in the net ranking right now do you think that that's ultimately something that could come back to bite them or does it benefit them to play these tough schedules even if maybe the early returns are a bit more questionable 
It, it definitely benefits them because the wins Gonzaga has all over uh, Kentucky and Michigan State are going to look good throughout mm-hmm. the year, as mm-hmm. well as Xavier. So you have that already baked in. Mm-hmm. You don't have any bad losses. And assuming yeah. Gonzaga handles business in WCC play, mm-hmm. their numbers are automatically going to rise. And, and even in the month of December alone, a lot of these teams are going to have buy games that, yeah. that are just going to tank their own numbers. So then mm-hmm. once – Michigan State's in Big Ten play, Kentucky's in SEC play, their numbers are going to rise, which means in return, Gonzaga's numbers are going to rise. Right. So I think it's safe to say that this will be the lowest GU's net rank mm-hmm. is going to be all year. And I think there's a good chance, assuming that they don't, you know, lose more than maybe one or two games the rest of the way, that mm-hmm. they end up having a top 10 ranking and another case of having a top two seed in the tournament. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about what the current top 10 is for the net rankings. We know, again, we're talking here on December 6th. Uh, people are listening to this first week of December. Like we're very early in the college basketball season. But I think it's funny to kind of look. For the most part, the top 10 looks kind of normal, but there are some anomalies. I'll just go through it here real quick. Houston, number one for net rankings, number one in Ken Palm. UConn, fourth in Ken Palm. Purdue is next. They're sixth in Ken Palm. And then it's Tennessee, who's third in Ken Palm. So your first, your top four teams for net ranking are all top six teams per Ken Palm. Then you get Mississippi State, who's 25th. Okay, not too, not too egregious, not too different. Maryland is next. They're 19th. That makes sense. Then you get Sam Houston. Sam Houston, 91st in Ken Palm. By no means bad, particularly for a WAC school, but that is a pretty noticeable difference for them being seventh in the net rankings, 91st in the Ken Palm rankings. And then you round it out with Virginia, Alabama, and Texas, who are respectively seventh, 13th, and second in the Ken Palm rankings. So there's just one kind of big standout going a little bit further down the list. Utah State is 16th. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Mountain West later in the podcast. Florida Atlantic is 24th. I'm curious. Again, knowing the caveats of how early we are in the season and whatnot, like seeing something like this, seeing programs that you wouldn't expect to be anywhere near a, a top 10 or top 20 conversation, like does that give us a lot of data or a lot of information or is it just kind of an early season wonky, wonkiness? Yeah, the teams, the mid-major teams you mentioned all, all had a couple of upsets to start the year. Sam Houston mm-hmm. State beat Oklahoma and Utah and both yep. of those teams have looked good in past months, so that's going to make their numbers look well. Mm-hmm. And, and FAU got a win over, I, I believe, uh, Florida State or, or somebody. They yeah. had an upset power conference team. So so their numbers are automatically going to look good because those teams haven't had any bad losses. Mm-hmm. But in the next few weeks, you can assume that they'll either take a quad three or quad four loss, which will automatically tank them in the rankings. And then, you know, the, the, the common strength of schedule of all their opponents is going to come into play, yep. too. So it, it really doesn't matter overall. It, it, it'll average out. But I think if you're a team like Mississippi State, who, mm-hmm. who's in the SEC, who has a ton of opportunities, yep. so far the metrics love them. And, and, and that's a good place where you want to be. We'll see what happens with them when, they're, when their strength to schedule increases in league play. But overall, if you're a team that was hoping to be on the bubble – this is a pretty nice spot compared to some other teams like Michigan and Dayton yeah. and Villanova, who's currently outside the top 100. Yeah, Their numbers could rise too, but if they continue to take on losses, then they're going to be in a really have a steep hill to climb a month to go when it comes to their own bracketology. Absolutely. I was, I was going to mention Michigan there, 114th uh, in the net rankings. TCU is another team, 81st in the net rankings. They're 6-1. and one. 
But when you're that low in the net rankings, you know, you got to start to get worried about like, hey, is this going to come back to bite us? Are we going to be in a situation where instead of being like a comfortable five, six, seven seed or whatever, like we're, we're potentially going to be looking at a bubble spot. It's interesting to see kind of what teams that has already happened to. And the last thing I wanted to mention for net rankings, just because it's hard to not mention them whenever we see how jaw droppingly bad they have been. There are three hundred and sixty three Division one teams in college basketball. Louisville net ranking three hundred and sixtieth. Yikes. Yikes, yikes. It has been a really rough year for Kenny Payne and company uh, over at Louisville. Uh, well, Zach Eady once again dominated for the Boilers this week. We discuss his candidacy for National Player of the Year and, of course, a few other players who remain in that conversation. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people to hire for your team faster and for free. It's extremely simple to use. Start by adding your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege. That's linkedin.com slash lockedoncollege to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Tristan, segment two here. Really want to talk about the National Player of the Year race again. Don't need to emphasize the caveat here that it is early December and there is a lot, a lot of college basketball still to be, still to be played. Many conferences who have yet to begin their actual conference play. A few that have just gotten into them, including Edie and Purdue, who, who secured a nice win over Minnesota. I really just want to talk about Zach Edie at first because he was kind of on the fringes of being considered a national player of the year candidate before the season. Uh, certainly we know who those candidates primarily were. Drew Timmy, Oscar Shibway, Armando Baycott, Hunter Dickinson, Trace Jackson Davis, all five bigs who were considered more likely to win national player of the year than Zach Eady coming into the season by a lot of people, not necessarily by everybody. And certainly Eady was a part of the conversation after having a really excellent first year at Purdue last year. But my goodness, so far through this season, after putting up 31 and 20 against Minnesota in the recent game, he's now averaging just over 23 points per game, just under 13 rebounds per game, over 60% from the field for a team that has been much, much better than advertised in part because of his efficiency, in part because of his ability to play more minutes per game than he played last year, and in part because the regards are just better than a lot of people expected them to be. I'm curious where you, where you what the temperature is at for you right now in terms of Edie being a legitimate National Player of the Year candidate, if he is your favorite, or if not, what he might need to do to kind of be uh, firmly in that conversation. Yeah, for me, he's the clear favorite right mm -hmm. now. And I think the the national narrative of him and in Purdue going mm -hmm. from unranked to now being a top five team in the country, it just yeah. helps matters. Yeah. It all, it also helps that uh, a number of the preseason favorites like, mm -hmm. like uh, Timmy to yeah. Dickinson are on teams that are underachieving at this point. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're the best player on a top five team mm -hmm. compared to guys who are, who are either in the top 15 or even unranked, mm -hmm. you're obviously going to have the edge and it helps Edie too that, you know, he's mentioned the guard play has been great because mm -hmm. I think, the expectations was going to be that he was going to be around 20 and 10. 
Right. But if he was doing that on an unranked team or a Purdue team that finishes barely in the top half of the Big Ten, he probably sure. wasn't going to win that award. But if he's doing it on the best team in the Big Ten, a team mm-hmm. that now currently has three quad one wins and has an easy number one overall seed resume, yeah. then it puts him in a driver's seat because he there's no reason why not to expect that he can't produce these similar numbers now that he's clearly comfortable playing around 30 minutes a game. This this may seem like an odd statement, but I'm curious if you think it's true. Like, is Zach Eady's National Player of the Year candidacy, how dependent is it on the rest of the Purdue roster? Because to me, his numbers are probably not going to change that dramatically. Like, maybe the rebounds drop a bit as he gets into conference play. Maybe we see him, he's going to have a few bad games here and there. But by and large, like, 20 and 10 is, is probably going to happen. He's going to be right in that conversation. Maybe he stays around where he is now, 23 and 13, 22 and 10, you know, something like that. But if, to me, it seems like Purdue needs to stay in this conversation as a, t- as a top 10 team. A couple losses in the Big Ten, a, a few stumbles here and there. All of a sudden, they're, you know, maybe top 15, top 20. Maybe they slip back out down into the 2025 range. Like, how much do you think that Purdue's guards and the, the performance that they have put together this year, how much do you think that will impact his overall candidacy? It's going to be huge because that's what's going to decide per, per, uh, how good Purdue is. And in yeah. turn, how, how good... Edie's resume is like Austin mm-hmm. Shashibwe put up mm-hmm. massive numbers for Kentucky, mm-hmm. but he won the award because they were a two seed in a top right. five team. Right. If they were a four or five seed like Iowa was with Keegan Murray, mm-hmm. then that's, that would that wasn't going to help hit his right. uh, numbers. And you look at the teams like Virginia and Texas, who mm-hmm. scorns more bounced out, they don't have a national player of the year contender right now. So, right. so if that remains the same at the top, it's going to look good for Edie. I think his biggest competition right now would probably Marcus Sasser. Yeah, of Houston because there's a really good chance Houston will go throughout the regular season with maybe one or two losses at the most. And if yeah. they're a clear number one team and the, to the team to beat, and he's averaging 17, 20 points a game, he could easily get it. So it's going to be important for Purdue to remain top five, top 10 throughout the year, mm-hmm. win the Big Ten, who I, I, I think people would argue is the best conference yeah. alongside the SEC and Big 12, of course. But right. It, it, it's easy to lose, but it's going to be based on how good they are as a team because there are contenders even yeah. without the pre even without the preseason favorites. Yeah, sort of stumbling off the block. Well, I kind of want I want to focus on that a little bit more because you, you made a great point about the those kind of star guys, the preseason favorites being on teams that that have underwhelmed, and, and certainly Gonzaga, North Carolina, Kentucky, all teams that haven't performed as expected. And you look at, I mean, the numbers for those particular players are not bad necessarily. I think Shibwe's are the quote unquote worst and he's still averaging 14 points, 13 and a half rebounds. He was coming off an injury. Like his numbers are still very good. Drew Timmy just dropped a hair below 20 points per game after his struggle against Baylor and then bumped right back up into that with a dominant performance against Kent state. So his numbers look basically the same as they've been the last couple of years. Armando Baycott's still averaging a consistent double-double, but those teams are not playing as expected. And I'm curious if you think that there's a relationship there. I've watched a lot of Gonzaga games. I've watched every Gonzaga game. I've watched quite a bit of Kentucky and North Carolina. And it does seem like, you know, with this this return to the big man, there's been so many bigs coming back to school, taking advantage of the NIL deals and kind of feeling like there's places isn't necessarily in the NBA, so they're staying in college. But those teams are all struggling and, and 
I wonder if there's a potential connection there where teams have started to figure out, at least with Gonzaga, they figured out to just put a ton of pressure on Gonzaga's guards and make sure Drew Timmy doesn't get the ball. But is this something that you think is kind of permeating across a handful of these different teams with high-level players? Well, we, we mentioned Purdue, why Purdue's win is because of their backcourt. Yeah. Right now, I would argue that Purdue's backcourt's playing better than Kentucky's, Gonzaga's, and Michigan's. Like that's yeah. that's the reason why those teams are losing. It's not yeah. because Timmy or Toshibwe aren't playing well. It's because mm-hmm. the guards have been inefficient, to say the least. Right. So if, if the guard play isn't good, then it, it's not going to matter what the bigs produce. You you can have Timmy go twenty and ten, and you can mm-hmm. still beat them. Yeah. If Hickman and, and Hickman and Strother struggles, so. Yeah. It is it, it, going to come. You look at the best backcourt play for the star big men. You can, I, I think that Trace Jackson Davis mm-hmm. has good backcourt played in Indiana, and I think he he's going to be a, a contender to win it all because th- their team's doing good. Yeah, when you have Jalen Hushafino and Xavier Johnson leading the way, so it, it it's a it's even though there's a lot of star power among the frontcourt players, it's still ultimately a guards game. The guards yeah. are going to decide who wins and who loses. The big men are just going to help elevate your floor and make you more viable to win games more often than not. There's a couple of players that I wanted to talk about that kind of fit into a similar vibe for me. You mentioned one of them in Marcus Sasser, just high level players on really good teams, because that's always the first place to look is who is playing the best on the best teams, because, you know, that's what you want. You want the best players on the best teams. That's the easiest way to determine national player of the year. So, again, you mentioned Sasser. We talked about Dixon, uh, Dickinson, excuse me, and Trace Jackson Davis. A couple other guys that I kind of wanted to mention here and just see how realistic they're, you know, they're probably more dark horses at this point, not necessarily favorites, but uh, one of them is Azulis Tubelis from Arizona. Uh, they, they took a little stumble with that loss to Utah, but a team that has been in the top 10, top 15 conversation throughout the year. Fantastic job by Tommy Lloyd last year and kind of again coming into this year. As of right now, Tubelis is averaging 20 points, 8.3 rebounds per game, also tacking on a couple of assists. And then, of course, the the one of the big stories of the season outside of Purdue has been the emergence of UConn and what they have been able to do in, in their their run through the PK Invitational uh, and Adama Sanogo and his performance averaging just under 19 points, seven boards a game. Uh, looking at those two guys, you can kind of toss Sasser in there, too. Do you envision like pretty, pretty serious candidates for them as National Player of the Year as well? Yeah, I think when you look at Arizona, surprisingly, Umar Balo yeah. might chip into Tubelis's production a bit. He's mm-hmm. been fantastic in the center position. Yeah. And they're also a team who that has spotty guard play. Kirk Creesa and Pelle Larson really mm-hmm. was awful in the yeah. loss to Utah. Yeah. But but Tubelis is going to put his numbers, and I think that they're going to be a clear favorite to win the Pac-12 next to UCLA. Yeah. Sonogo, you know, after Creighton losing to – Nebraska, now UConn's the favorite in the Big East. And mm-hmm. Snogo has shown that, that he can be the best player in the conference. And if UConn continues to play at a top 10 level, and I don't see why not, because their guard play led by Tristan Newton, the transfer from ECU, has been high, highly good. Yeah. I, I think UConn has, has a great chance to win the league. And if Snogo's putting up 20 and 10 numbers himself, then he's gonna be he's gonna be there. I, I think he he'll probably replace Dickinson. Mm-hmm. In terms of that 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 center that has a legit chance to be on All American team because he's yeah. going to be on a, a top ten caliber team all year. Yeah, and, and, and Sasser he's the clearest to go score go do score. Mm-hmm. Houston's going to be great. You know they they haven't they had a couple of sleepy performances, but I, yeah. I think they're they're going to get back on track with a couple of big games and they have a huge one against Alabama coming up soon. Yeah. So that's going to be a, a great spotlight game. If he goes off in that one, then I think that he'll definitely be 
sort of the, the, the top guard in the conversation. Well, every year it's a fun battle to see which non-Power 6 conference is going to put the most teams in the NCAA tournament. It always seems like a battle between two or three different conferences. Right now, it looks like the Mountain West is the conference to beat. We're going to talk about the dominance we have seen from those squads. Three undefeated teams remain in the Mountain West. We're going to talk about that to close out the show. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football bowl season is getting underway while the NFL playoffs approach. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three here, still Andy Patton, still locked on college basketball, still joined by Tristan Freeman of Busting Brackets. Tristan, I want to talk Mountain West basketball. It's been a very fun conference, frankly, for a handful of years, but really off to a solid start this season. Uh, every year, I, like I said, it seems like we kind of have this conversation of, of which conference is going to put more teams into the NCAA tournament. Certainly in my neck of the woods, a big part of that is the WCC versus the Mountain West and kind of looking at those two conferences, Sands, Gonzaga, and kind of seeing you know, who, who has the better resumes, which, which teams are going to potentially sneak into the tournament. And this year we're looking at a really – really deep, really, really strong Mountain West Conference. Before we get into some specifics, I kind of want to get just your general thoughts on how the teams in this conference have performed so far this season. Yeah, I think there was a clear top three in my mind coming into two seasons, San Diego State, Colorado State, and Wyoming. And mm-hmm. two of them suffered big injuries. Yeah. Uh, Graham E.K. and uh, Isaiah Stevens, both mm-hmm. out for the respective teams. Stevens is back. For, for the Rams, but it'll take them a minute to, to, yeah. to fully get to 100%. But the middle tier has been a, a complete shock. We have three mm-hmm. teams still unbeaten, Utah State, New Mexico, and, and uh, UNLV. Mm-hmm. And they've had some impressive wins against mid-major opponents that mm-hmm. that, that shows that they're, they're legit. And all three of them use the transfer portal heavy, and it's been very successful with who they brought. And you could argue that their, their top transfers are, are currently the favorites mm-hmm. to, to, to win player of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a really, really fun year. I, I think, uh, you know, looking at the records of these teams, it's been really fun to kind of see where everybody's emerging. And then, and looking at the Ken Palm rankings surprised me too. I, I, I put these teams in order for Ken Palm and it did not come out to be the order that I thought that it would be. Certainly San Diego state and Utah state are the cream of the crop right now. Both the two teams of the mountain West that are in the top 50 per Ken Palm, but third is a six and two Boise state team. Leon Rice has a solid squad over there. They're 57th in the Ken Palm rankings. Then of course you get to your two undefeated teams in New Mexico and UNLV at 82nd and 83rd per Ken Palm. So again, Ken Palm rankings, early December, not necessarily indicative of, of what the NCAA tournament picture is going to look like. Uh, and again, Wyoming looks quite bad right now, but potentially uh, depending on when we get EK back into the mix, we could see that team kind of make some noise and same with Colorado state, but, it's probably a little too early to make a prediction here, but are we thinking 
three, four, could there potentially be five teams from the Mountain West that make the NCAA tournament or kind of how, how are you seeing this potentially shaken out? Yeah, I, I think three mm-hmm. is probably a, a nice bet because yeah. I, I think you look at the conferences, the other conferences, mm-hmm. the Pac-12 and ACC have sort of stabilized a bit. That yeah. I, I don't think that they'll be in danger of getting two or three bids. I think they're in a good spot. The Big yeah. Ten, Big 12 is going to get a decent amount. Mm-hmm. And it'll come down to whether or not these teams collectively have good enough resumes to where they can survive beating one another. Yeah, I think San Diego State's in a, in a healthy spot. They'll be fine getting at-large bid. Mm-hmm. Does New Mexico, Utah State, or UNLV currently have at-large resumes that could yeah. survive a couple of quad three losses in league play? That That's going to be the concern. And Colorado State actually has the worst loss among any of the top six or seven teams Mm-hmm. Losing the whole in Northern Colorado, that that one's going to stink for him because that's a quad four L. Yeesh. So it, it, it's, I think they're good historically. The Mountain, the top tier of the Mountain West, have done a good job avoiding the bad losses. Mm-hmm. I think San Jose State and Air Force have shown to be competitive, but I'm not sure they can beat them yeah. as long as they avoid losses to them and Fresno State, who's probably the biggest disappointment so far. Yeah, they'll, they'll be in a good spot to get to get somewhere between three or four bids. Because I do think, especially a team like the Lobos, mm-hmm. after getting more, more Sudesi to, to balance the offense, yeah. I, I think they're, that there's staying power with these teams, that there's not just an early flash in the pan. I want to talk a little bit about Utah State uh, here real quick. Uh, one, of the, one of the remaining undefeated teams, a, a team that 8-0, they have some really – Really nice wins. No, no super major opponents necessarily, but 10-point victory over Oral Roberts, 18-point victory over San Francisco, a team that made the NCAA tournament last year, 22-point victory over Santa Clara, a team that probably should have made the NCAA tournament last year had they not suffered some early season injuries. They would have been in that conversation. Uh, but then, of course, you know, some they only had only one against Utah Tech by five, only beat Steve Lavin's Toreros by two. So, like, Kind of an interesting resume so far. Statistically, they have shot the absolute crap out of the basketball. They are shooting just under 45% from three, four guys averaging over 12 points per game. Uh, pretty rebuilt roster here. I'm, I'm kind of curious just your temperature on this team. Uh, probably not going to go undefeated forever, but they they have themselves a, a really nice start to the year. Yeah, the, the rebuilding efforts of Ryan Odom, uh, we know what he did at UMBC. He, he's yeah. already taken the, the Aggies to a, to a nice spot. Like, I mm-hmm. didn't think Steven Ashford was capable of this kind of scoring production, currently yeah. leads the conference yeah. in points. And then Taylor Funk, who, who basically was an elite scorer, rebounder at St. Joe's on a team that didn't play any defense, he basically is producing the same kind of offensive production for Utah State while the team overall playing a little better defense that at mm-hmm. least at this point have currently make them unbeaten. So there's a whole bunch of firepower to they're, 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 they're lethal. I think that the, the scoring and offensive abilities mm-hmm. can, can continue the rest yeah. of the way. And, and at this point, I, I would argue that Taylor Funk, I would say he's currently the player of the year. Yeah. If you had to give the award right now, because Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really give it to anybody from San Diego State because Matt Bradley has struggled out the gate. Yeah. And the top three players from New Mexico is splitting it right now because yeah, they're exactly. all scoring as well. So I, I, so I think Funk's been an absolute great transfer pickup and just fits what Odom wants to do offensively so well. 
Last question I have for you, Tristan, is just kind of if there is any potential sleeper teams that you can kind of think of here in the Mountain West. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of kind of teams in that middle of the pack that have kind of stepped up. And perhaps your sleeper team is a team that we've already talked about. But I'm curious, uh, you know, is a top three, maybe four for the Mountain West. If, if a team were to sneak into the NCAA tournament that you were not expecting, who do you think that it might be? Yeah, Boise State. Well, yeah. they won the league last year, and, and mm-hmm. they're quietly six and two. Marcus Shaver is is definitely their their go to score, but yeah. I think the, the the wings and front court is is getting there yeah. uh, on a defensive end. That that's where they, their strength was. They lost all of that. I, I think you know, I pronounce his name wrong. Trezzy Agbu from mm-hmm. Te- Texas Tech. He he's going to be an impact player yeah. for them. No doubt. And, and they're they're a team that defensively I think can bother some of these teams because I think the one concern with Utah State and New Mexico is are they going to be good enough defensively yeah. Boise State's going to be a really good test for them and their 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 resume solid too so far so they're they're a team that can make some noise as well there's there's definitely a lot of good teams in the league and I think while San Diego State should still be the regular season favorite yeah, I think they could they can lose four to five games in league play and it's still mm-hmm. not be an indictment on them, but more of a compliment of, of how strong the league is from one to seven. Absolutely. Well, Boise State, uh, for the record, 120th in offense per Ken Palm, but 27th defensively. So we've seen Leon Rice's squad put together a really nice defense. I think that's going to help them a lot getting into conference play. Tristan, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come onto the podcast. It's been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate uh, getting your insights. Uh, can you let people know where they can follow you, where they can find your work if they are interested? Yes, sir. You can find me at Hoopsnut351 on, online. You can follow the Bustin' Brackets, at Bustin' Brackets, social media handle, as well as our site. We have articles out every day concerning the Mountain West and mm-hmm. college basketball overall. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can check it out wherever you get podcasts. If you have not done so yet, go to YouTube, hit that big red subscribe button. More coming later this week for now. Peace out.